If you have your Bible, go with me to John chapter 18. Um, I want to apologize up front. I don't know what's going on with my voice, so if it comes and goes. Um, my wife said to me, I need to go sit in silent, and so I did that. But then she comes and asks me questions, and I answer her questions. And she's like, well, you're not supposed to be talking. I'm like, well, but you asked me questions. So um, I know as you and I gather this morning, a lot of people call it Easter weekend, and that's not wrong. When I get excited about it, I call it the Resurrection Weekend. And so we gather this morning together as a family to celebrate that our Christ is alive today. And I know that there's a lot of people, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do this, but um, we even made something for our son this morning just so he'd have you know, some candy that Dad will get to eat later on today. But um, it can be a distraction, and I pray that that's not true for you. And so I was just thinking this morning, what is Easter to you? I mean, I know what it is for me, and I've been just sitting around this weekend just thinking about, God, all that you've done for me. And so we get to celebrate it on the, on the weekend, it's, it's this time, and then I started thinking about, what was Easter for Jesus? And it's nothing like what we've celebrated this weekend. It wasn't convenient for Jesus. It wasn't easy for Jesus. But all along, there's this thing going on in Jesus' mind that his father's asked him to do a job. And that job was going to be pretty costly. And so this morning, as you enter into this, this weekend, I want to take you kind of on a little journey, a lot of scripture, but I want to start in John chapter 18. And I want to talk to you this morning about what it was like for Jesus to be arrested. And all along, as we're looking at the word of God, as you, as you sit here and think about this weekend, everything should be running through our heart and mind, as been as a mind, it was for me. It was for you. As you enter into John chapter 18 and you look at the arrest of Jesus. So if you have your Bible, go with me to John chapter 18. Starting in verse 1. Wait, did I have the right thing here? Yes, I do. John chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the book of Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place where Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having preceded a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Who do you seek? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. Look at this. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? They said to him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I was him. So if you seek me, let these other men go. This was to fulfill the word that had been spoken. Of those whom I have given, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into your sheath, for I shall, not, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me. I was thinking about the arrest 
as they're walking towards Jesus, he knows what's going to happen. Now, I don't know if you've ever, I don't, I don't think I've ever watched somebody get arrest, arrested other than just, you know, on TV. But they're walking to Jesus, and when they say, we're here to get Jesus of Nazareth, I am he, they fell back, they bowed down. Why didn't Jesus just walk away? Why does Jesus say, yeah, y'all right? You know, I am, a, I, am, I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you should be all bowing down and worshiping me, but he doesn't. He doesn't take the opportunity to say, hey, by the way, you're right. He just stands there. Why didn't he flee? Why didn't he just say, you know what? I don't really think this is worth it. It's also very interesting to me, Jesus' words to Peter. Now, I don't know if you see this before, but as I was reading this account, look at Jesus' words in verse 11. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Why is he still standing Because his father asked him to do something. His father asked him to allow himself to be arrested. For you. For me. And so as you enter into this this weekend and you think about Peter and you can, you know, we can have a little fun that Peter was pretty bad with his sword and why did he miss the, the, just whacking off the person's head? But it was there so us to see, okay, the right ear is gone. Peter, put it back away. There's something that my father wants me to do. And you're not going to stop me, Peter. And so as you enter into this weekend, and you enter into to John you know, chapter 18, the arrest was for you. He allowed it to take place. There's something else that I find really interesting in the Scriptures is John chapter 18, starting in verse 19, the trial. Now, I don't know about you, but how many of you like to be falsely accused? Nobody in this room likes to be falsely accused. If you're in an argument, how many of you, when you're in the argument, know that you're right, but you do not speak? So it's the trial of Jesus. John chapter 18 records some words. And I think those words are kind of interesting. John chapter 18, there's two little segments we're going to look at real briefly here this morning. Starting in, uh, down in verse 19, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple and where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that not how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him. 
If what I said is wrong, bear witness about what the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? And I then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, none of you in this room so far, when you're in an argument and you're right, chooses not to defend yourself. I realize that it's, it's, it's a weekend and you went out and you got stuff and you've done your things and now you've gathered together on a Sunday morning. And I want to say thank you for being here. But I really want you to think about something. I want you to think about what it cost Jesus to stand there after that guy had slapped him or punched him or hit him in the face and yet not open his mouth. That's how much he loved you. In a world where everybody wants to be right and feels like they have the voice to be right, as you enter into the resurrection weekend, your Savior chose not to be right. Your Savior chose not to strike him back, not to lash out. It's also interesting to me if you go over to John chapter 18, starting in verse 33. So then Pilate at the headquarters called him and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him in verse 34. Do you say this on your own accord? Or did others say it about me? Pilate answered, I am a Jew. Am I a Jew? Your own nation and your chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered him, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born. and For this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. I want you to just highlight these last words. I think this is really interesting. Everyone who is of the truth Everyone who is of the truth gets their own voice. Gets their own preference. Is allowed to be able to decide what is right and wrong. Gets to choose how they're going to get to go to heaven. No. Whoever listens to the voice of Jesus in his words says this, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. I find that really interesting. Nothing about what was going on around then, here, now. Nothing about how he's going to go back and forth with Pilate. No, no. The truth is, is an individual who listens to his voice. Now, I realize that Jesus is not going to show up probably this morning and speak out loud. But it's interesting that you have something in front of you. And it's fascinating is probably you don't just have one you probably have two. You know what else is fascinating to me? I was riding back to the pri- from the prison the other night, just thinking. If a doctor tells you at 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and 5 o'clock, take this medication for your blood pressure, what do you do? You take the medication at 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 5 o'clock. How many times have we opened the Bible? It's fascinating, and we'll listen to a doctor. 
but we listen to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so as Jesus is standing in the middle of the trial, there's something that needs to be heard from us this morning. And I would strongly encourage to listen to the voice of Jesus. He listened to his Father for you. He allowed that soldier here to slap him or hit him for you. It's also interesting in this trial, if you keep on going down, after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one of, one of you at the Passover. So do you want me to reach the king of the Jews? They cried out, not this man, but Barabbas, the robber. If there had been any opportunity or another opportunity, there's multiple opportunities for Jesus to step up and say, hold on a second, that guy's a robber. I've done nothing wrong. I've healed the sick. I've raised people back to life. I gave people sight. I'm doing exactly what my father has asked me to do, and you're going to let that guy go? Now that's too much injustice. It's over right here, right now. I'm stepping up. That guy's not going free. He's going to hurt somebody. I'm here to set people free. He does nothing for you. Doesn't stop there. You would think the arrest would be enough. You would think the trial would be enough, but it goes farther. It goes to the crucifixion. In John chapter 19. Starting in verse 1, then Pilate took Jesus and they flogged him. And the soldiers twisted a, together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. And they reigned him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail the king of the Jews. And struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt from him. And I'm not going to show this this morning, but I think it will be really good for us, all of us sitting in the comfort of the United States of America, to watch the passion of Christ. Just to kind of give us a picture what it was like for Jesus to choose to be flogged. To allow them to take those thorns and just press it on. That was a choice. When they walked past and hit him in the face or slapped him around and said, Well, hail, King of the Jews. He could have stood up right then, said, Nope, we're done. And what's fascinating to me is we sit here in a room and all of us don't like to lose an argument. Or to be an opportunity in a conversation where you're right, and then you say, well, let, let me just tell this is how it really happened. But what have we watched? We've watched a man 2,000 years ago say, this is what life looks like. And so in that process, he was arrested. In that process, there was a trial. 
in that process, there was a crucifixion. There was him willingly saying, you know what? I'm going to lay down my life for you. I want you to go over to verse 11 of John chapter 19. Jesus answered him, You have no authority over me at all unless it had been given from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has greater sin. I want you to go back with me to Matthew chapter 26. Just remind you of Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And verse 38, he says to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even in death. Remain here and watch with me. And they going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if, it's, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away. He prayed. My father, this cannot pass unless I drink it. Your will be done. Every time they raised that whip, Every piece of flesh that was torn off his body was for you. He made a decision to humble himself underneath his father's will. He said, Father, if you want me to die, I'll die. When they spit on me, it'll be, I will accept that knowing that was part of your plan. It was for you. So this morning, as you enter into this weekend, and there's part of the crucifixion that will end, you know, we're going to get to here at the end of, of Matthew chapter 19. I want you to see something. Go to the end of Matthew chapter 19. Pick it up in verse 28. Verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, said, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine and hyssop in a branch, and they held it to his mouth. And when he received the sour wine, he said, these words are really, really important. It is finished. That was him saying life is over. I choose to die for us. The Romans didn't kill him. We did. There weren't enough people to nail him to the cross. There weren't enough soldiers, but we were there. See, he knew unless he died, we would not have a relationship with his father. We would not have forgiveness of sin. And no matter what his father was going to ask of him, 
he was going to willingly do that road. So if it meant flogging, fine. If it meant people spitting on him, fine. If it meant him standing in trial and being right, but yet not opening his mouth, fine. And I know it doesn't stop there, but as you think this morning, it is finished. There is nothing that has the power because Christ has said it is finished. There's nothing that should be able to control you because it's finished. Is that true in our lives? Can we step back and say, wow, I'm no longer a slave to sin because it's finished. I'm not saying that you're going to be perfect. I'm not saying you're not going to sin. But are we forgetting what is behind and pressing on towards what is in front of us? Are we thinking that, you know what, spiritual maturity looks like, you know what, I'm willing to lay that aside for you, Jesus. The last part of this crucifixion that I want you to see is at the end when you get here to, um, to Nicodemus in chapter 19, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, so we're back in John chapter 19, verse 38. Joseph of Arimathea, who was the disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who early, Nicodemus also, who was early, had come to Jesus by the night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes and 75 pounds of weight. So he took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen and spices and the according to the burial custom. Now in the place that he was crucified, there was no garden. In the garden, there was a new tomb. And so no one had yet laid there. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid him there. I want you to see something about this crucifixion. I want you to see who shows up. If you have some time this afternoon, go look at John chapter 3. Nicodemus is going to come ask Jesus some questions because he's afraid to show up during the daytime. So he asked some questions that really lead to us to John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved you that he gave his only son so that you might have eternal life. And now when Jesus is on the cross and he said it's finished, Nicodemus shows up, Joseph of Arimathea show up, and they take the body and they wrap the body of Jesus with spices and they lay it in a tomb. What's interesting to me is there's demonstration of life change in Nicodemus, Joseph Barimathea. They're no longer afraid. So they take the body of Jesus and they lay him in the tomb. I don't want to be depressing today, so we're not going to stop with just being in the tomb. But I think there's some really some things that we really need to think about. The arrest, the trial, the crucifixion. And the last thing is that he's alive, ladies and gentlemen. 
And so do you go to John chapter 20, and the tomb is empty. But I wanted you to see something that's really interesting that just, as I was reading this week, just kind of jumped off the page to me. I hadn't really thought about it before. And Pastor Andy read a little bit this morning out of John chapter 20. But Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb. So John chapter 20, verse 11. As she wept, she stepped into or looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one of the head and one of the feet. <clears throat> they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. She didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him in there, and Aramaic said, Rabboni. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to my father. But go tell, look at what she look what Jesus says, but go tell my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father, your father, to my God, your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And he said, that he had said these things to her. I don't know what it's like to see the risen Christ. I've never seen him. I've never had the privilege to hug him. But Mary has. And as I look at this passage of Scripture, the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion, and the resurrection is so that we could be the sons of Jesus' father. That's why he died. I mean, of all the things that he could have said to, to Mary, go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father, which now means it's their father because he's alive. Which now means it's their God. We're together now. It's been complete. It's finished. Sin has been paid for. And so this morning, as we, as we gather around the Scriptures, I don't know where you are, other than you're here. I don't know what you believe about Easter. I know what Jesus believes. Jesus said, Okay, Father, I'll go to the, to the arrest. I'll show up at the trial. And I'm not going to defend myself. Father, I'll allow them to beat my body beyond recognition for me. So that my sin would no longer be unpaid. I don't know what you believe about this Easter weekend. 
but I love the scriptures. And I love the opportunity to look at my Savior saying, you know what, this is what a servant looks like. And I'll lay down all this stuff so that me, so that we could have eternal life. So don't leave here without these words. Acts chapter 4, and verse 8. This, this is just fun to think the guy that whacked off the servant's ear and the one that denied him shows up in Acts chapter 4. But it's really important to know what he says. And not just know, oh yeah, I know about Easter. It's about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Yeah, it is for you. So the guy that messed it up, his name is Peter. In Acts chapter 4, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to the crippled man, which they healed the cripple, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to you and all, and to all the people of Israel, that... By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man is standing before you today. This is Jesus, the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by men by which... We must be safe. And in Romans chapter 10, it says this, verse 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus showed up at Easter 2,000 years ago to stand trial for you. to be arrested for you, to be beaten and crucified for you, to be laid in a tomb for you. But his father said, it's not finished. And three days later, he rose again for you. So I'm going to ask you today, has there ever been a time in your life that you said, you know what, Jesus, I'm placing my faith in you. Have you publicly confessed it? Now, we're not going to pass the microphone around, so don't worry. Okay? but we probably should. Is there a time in your life where there is no other name but the name of Jesus? Is there a time for you that as you read John chapter 20, it is finished means that your sin was paid? My prayer is that if, it's not, if that has not taken place, that today will be the day. There is no other name whereby somebody's going to get, get saved, get to heaven, other than through the name of Jesus. Forgiveness will only be found in Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus.
So as you leave our facilities this weekend, or this morning, my prayer is that you know Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. But Christ crucified for your sins. Three days later, his father said, it's not over. And now today, we have hope because there's power in the forgiving name of Jesus. I want you to pray with me, and the worship team is going to end with a couple songs this morning. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity of gathering as a family today. And Father, there's people here that I don't know, and there's people that you know, and you know them all. So I don't know who showed up in this building that hasn't really thought about you being arrested, you being tried, you being crucified, you coming back to life for their sin. So if that's you, I'm not going to ask you to walk the aisle. I'm not going to ask you to fill out a piece of paper. When I ask you to humble yourself before Jesus and ask him to be the forgiveness of your sin. You can phrase it however you want, but I know one thing. There's no power in our lives outside of the name of Jesus Christ. I don't want us all to know him. I want us all to have forgiveness. I want us all to be able to run out of that grave. I want us all to be able to be free to know the Father that I know, to have the hope that we have. And that only comes from you, Jesus. So, Father, here we are, broken, messed up, wounded. But because of you, we can be complete. Because of you, we can have forgiveness. I pray, Father, that you draw the ones in here that don't know you to say yes to you really soon. And Father, the ones who do, may we be people like Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, to live radically different lives in a broken, messed up world. Jesus, thank you today for dying for me. Thank you today for dying for us. Because of you, we are complete. In Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Amen.